and really try to build a very collegial relationship with the team. And I have so much gratitude, Ben, for the team because of the team's ability to laugh. And, you know, when you, when you think about attributes that you want on a team, it's that ability not just to, to be high performing and, and make progress, but it's to laugh and to have stories and to, you know, have each other's back and prioritize the collective over the individual. It's um, just that lighthearted banter that we can have as a team. I try to really, really foster that. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey, welcome back. Lead the Team Nation. I've got a fun one coming your way today with Vijay Sankaran, who is the CTO over at Johnson Controls. And yes, it's that Johnson Controls. Vijay leads the, the, the team developing the technology strategy and its open blue suite, which I hope we'll talk about today, of connected solutions for every aspect of the built environment where 40% of carbon emissions come from. He's a thoughtful leader who enjoys the opportunity to create and develop products and services that help companies achieve their sustainability goals. He's previously served as CTO of Ford Motor Company, CIO of TD Ameritrade, and a senior leader previously over at Ernst & Young. And with this experience in management consulting, automotive and fintech industries, he has a truly unique perspective on leadership that he's going to share with us today. Vijay, welcome to Lead the Team. Yeah, thanks so much. Really appreciate being on the podcast, Ben. Oh, man, we're going to have a good one today. So I got to ask you, I was doing a little research, and I ran across an article that you posted back in January 2021. And this is now, we just started, uh, we're in January 2023. But back in January 2021, it's called New Beginnings, and uh, it resonated with me. So I just want to read this and kind of get your get your perspective two years later on it. For me, the experiences in 2020 included a, a deal close where I found out my fate of not being retained on the close date and having to clean out my belongings in an empty office in Ann Arbor, which I started. The challenges of transitioning or adopted girls to a virtual school, schooling environment, and the decision to opt out of a senior role a week after starting. While I'm sure we all have our stories, the thing I will remember the most is the mental fatigue that 2020 created. I get a chill even reading that. Um, what? So looking back at that, well, maybe describe that moment and looking back, what are your, what are your leadership reflections? Well, we could talk about the mental fatigue in 2021 and 22 as well. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm sure for, for many people across uh, the professional landscape globally, uh, this has been, in, in my mind, an unprecedented 
three-year stretch. So if I go back to 2020 at this point in time, you know, I went from being at a company that I absolutely loved with a fantastic team, a great group of colleagues, uh, an opportunity to really work with that team to take the company to new heights, Mm -hmm. to not having a role there, um, having to give up something I started and then opting out of a senior role, um, dealing with, you know, the challenges of virtual school, not, not just for our adopted girls, but also for our teenage boys and, um, Mm -hmm. uh, going through that process mentally and finding perspective is, um, you know, has been a journey, I would say, not just, you know, at the end of 2020, the beginning of 2021, but through all of 2022. And mm. um, I'm actually about to write another uh, LinkedIn post um, that I've actually sketched out. And uh, the post is all about perspective. And um, this year, rather than uh, putting out New Year's resolutions, I chose this time to uh, think about New Year's practices. And mm. for a variety of reasons, perspective is is the practice that came to my mind almost immediately because mm. between, you know, all the changes um, in our lives over the last three years, one could sort of say, hey, you know, the first 47 years of my life, 46 years of my life, you know, had been pretty predictable in terms of what people could say transitions were career-wise, family-wise, so on and so forth. And then the last three years has been this discombobulated, accelerated change, you know, across so many dimensions, both personally and and professionally that, um, you know, you you feel like you're being uh, put in, put in a washer dryer and then, you know, spun out in a centrifuge or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those who, who come out still standing, you know, maybe that's your, your prize of honor, but, you know, I think the thing that has resonated for me most is just um, amongst a lot of other practices is, is having a sense of perspective and so and gratitude, you know, gratitude. What? So great. I mean, I think a lot of people could resonate with that post. And by, and by the way, you weren't I, a couple, well, gosh, there's so many layers to this going back to that post though, that was pretty vulnerable uh, and to lead with it. And in fact, have it highlighted in your featured section on your LinkedIn. And, and for those of you that may not be as familiar with LinkedIn, it allows you to put like a featured area where that, when you're, I mean, when you bring up VJ's profile on LinkedIn, like you can't miss that. And it's very vulnerable. Uh, and you got a lot of, I mean, you, it looks like you got a lot of engagement on it. Hundreds of because, comments. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, they always want to know the story behind the story, right? And, you know, um, the why. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's so many different levels to that post, right? I mean, we could unpack any of those, you know, individually, just even in terms of my quitting a role after taking on something, you know, a week earlier. Certainly, you know, living in the metro Detroit area, it was a large company in this area. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted to know more about, you know, my my you know, thought process and why, why I decided to do that. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we're all, you know, humans um, living on this rock in this, you know, broader universe where, 
we're a spec within a spec, right? And, um, you know, we all have our stories and, um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's like, you gotta, you gotta be yourself. You know, that's something that I've, I've prided myself on throughout my career. You know, I remember back in 2001 when I was an early level manager at Ford Motor Company, sitting at, at, uh, at Wendy's having a, a spicy chicken sandwich. And I remember telling myself, you know, if someday, you know, I, if I were so privileged, you know, to take on a more senior leadership role, I'm still going to be the same person that is having this spicy chicken sandwich at Wendy's, you know, just having humility, having connection, being vulnerable, being willing to share my story, not taking myself, you know, so seriously, just a person, another guy that's trying to help move society and company and people forward. And part of that for me is just sharing who I am and and what I'm going through. And, and I think that posed in many ways in my decision to leave, you know, a big role, um, you know, was it was a seminal moment in that change. Like, I see everything in the world very differently today as a result of the things that have happened over the last few years than I did prior to that. So was there a seminal moment where you said, this is something needs to change? Or was it more of just an evolved sort of micro step process? Well, you know, I think it was a buildup of things. You know, I think um, I had been... I mean, like many of us in in my generation, right? I mean, you know, I was born in 1973. I turned 50 this year, uh, later on this year. Happy birthday. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I said, I was thinking happy birthday. And also I was Thank thinking, you. I hope you get a spicy chicken sandwich. <laughs> I'll get a little bit more than that, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but uh, our generation, right? I mean, you know, we were, you know, we're sort of after the baby boomers, between yeah. the millennials, you know. You're Gen our, Xer. The yeah. Gen Xers, right? I mean, our our whole DNA is oriented around, you know, this linear path of progression that, um, you know, was maybe instilled based upon, you know, what you thought your parents wanted for you or what you were expected to do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in my case, right, you know, my parents are both um, first-generation immigrants from India. You know, they both have um, higher educational degrees. And, you know, from the time I was growing up, you know, education was always you know, the focus, right? And it was study, 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 get A's, do well on your test scores. Um, and, you know, um, for me, that was, you know, a path to MIT and then being in consulting and then going to Duke to do my MBA and then 12 years at Ford Motor Company, seven years at, at TD, and then pandemic hits, right? And so essentially, since I was probably 16 or 17 years old, um, you know, I've been working my tail off trying to move myself forward, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, all the things that, you know, immigrant parents hope for their children and what um, immigrant ch- immigrants' children think that they're expected to do, right, until mm-hmm. they hit a wall, right, the, mm-hmm. both in terms of, you know, the oxidative stress that builds up, you know, within you, um, the, you know, the, the challenges of having to lay off people, going through rounds and rounds of cost cutting, um, especially when you're a human centric leader um, in a lonely role, like, uh, like a sea level role. I mean, that stuff begins to eat away at you, you know, over time, right? Um, it, it, it not only does mental damage, but, you know, it also has physical implications. And so, yep. you know, I think for me, 
um, it was a buildup that happened over a course of years, but, you know, certainly accelerated, you know, if I had the pandemic and, you know, an add on onto already, you know, 15 years, you know, almost 15 years of being a, a senior senior leader in an organization. And, if you, you know, if you be I just got to, to a go point there. where I'm like, hit refresh, right? You know, hit reset. Yep. You know? If you'd be willing to go there and if not, not no problem, but could you, could you share some of the details on how you noticed it physically, mentally? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. What the you know, was I like. probably first like noticed it, you know, when I was in my early forties. Right. And, um, I remember it was when I was, um, a senior leader, uh, at Ford running, you know, a 4,500 person organization. Right. And inevitably, you know, when you run a large organization, there's going to be bad news. Right. Um, but you know, Unfortunately, cultures and organizations are not such that bad news is is really like ingested with, you know, a sense of perspective, but it's really like more, it invokes a sense of fear um, across like anyone who's involved in it, right? And, And immediately, you know, you have this tendency to personalize the situation that it was something that you did wrong, even though it's not something that you, you know even maybe knew that was going wrong. Right. And so that internalization, you know, starts to lead to jitteriness, brain fog, you know, like just, um, sleeplessness, um, different sensations across your body. And then one day I woke up, maybe it was, it was a night of going out a little bit too late, or maybe it's a little bit of like having a few too many drinks sometime that triggered it. And then you just, get to a state where your body is out completely out of balance. And you just feel all kinds of wackiness. Right. And then you're, you think you're, you know, you're, you have some sort of significant like ailment or something, or, you know, you, you worry about, you know, your, your health and, um, and the reality of it is, is it is, you know, a, a severe ailment because, you know, in, in some ways you've lost your sense of, like youthfulness and lightheartedness and, and just being free and detached from, um, you know, being able to sort of have a perspective on, on life. Right. And so, you know, I've, I've engaged in a lot of different practices, you know, from, from meditation to breathing Mm -hmm. to um, all kinds of things over the course of the year, working with natural doctors, you know, just Mm -hmm. to kind of get myself, rebalanced right and um but you know it's it's once you kind of cross that chasm of stress right and stress inflicts you know certain toxicity upon all of us and a certain level of anxiety once you're pushed over that cliff it's even though you may not be at the bottom of the of the cat of the the canyon you know you're still like trying to climb up the cliff right and so um some some days are better than others you know in terms of that you know, that sleep that you get and the anxiety that you feel based upon the situations that you're in. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Uh, when I was in my thirties, I actually thought I was having a heart attack and I have a, and I, and I, I had a, I have a family history of cardiac problems. And so I'm like, Oh my God, like I, I, and I went to the hospital and turned out I was having a panic attack, which I had never had before. Uh, and that was I mean, that was a real wake up call and I didn't get great medical advice 
I'm not going to name the hospital in New York city that I was at at the time, <laughs> but, uh, I eventually, you know, through a couple of great mentors and some great coaches and a lot of self-reflection, I was able to start to chart a, a different path. And I ended up writing a book about it called the quit alternative, but it, um, it sounds like it was a real wake up call for you. Uh, it was. And moment. you know, when I made the decision not to take on that big role, you know, I mean, I, I basically spent three months just walking around with my dog, you know, um, you know, I mean, literally I would walk five, six miles a day, you know, in the middle of January, you know, I think people thought I was a little bit crazy, but, you know, for me, it was just about like getting back to, um, you know, the basic foundations of, of who I was as a person and, and what was important to me. And, so, um, so, so it's like, you tried a lot of things. What was that? the most effective lever that you pull was that daily walk with your dog. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I, I think there are like a lot of levers. Right. And so, okay. um, and I've always found that I become imbalanced when, um, you know, I'm not executing on those, on those practices or, or levers. Right. And so, and what I've learned like throughout the last few years is that, you know, People talk about, oh, you know, like meditation, it takes too much time or breathing, it takes too much time or taking a walk takes too much time or getting, you know, cardio takes too much time or, you know, laughing with a friend and grabbing coffee takes too much time. But if you really think about it in terms of like micro practices, you know, 10 minutes of meditation, you know, five deep breaths every hour before a meeting starts. You know, um, like I went, I walked down to a, to a, a store to pick up my sandwich, you know, um, during lunch, it took me 25 minutes to go there and back. Right. I mean, you look at like these, these micro practices and they're all like refresh and renew, you know, it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm getting away from, and this is, this is like, this has been created by this pandemic world because, you know, a lot of us are virtual or hybrid or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, in the, in the pre-world, right. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go walk around the building or, you know, or I'm going to go get a colleague and, and go have mm -hmm. lunch. Right. In this, you know, in this virtual hybrid pandemic world, it's like, okay, you know, if your initial instinct, when you feel like you need a break, feels like, okay, I need to go back to my email or, do something on my phone. Right. You know, and you have to almost be deliberate about just saying, I'm going to back off of that and I'm going to go take a walk or I'm going to go, you know, go on the elliptical for 10 minutes or go take 10 deep breaths or, you know, read a book or listen to some music or whatever it may be. Right. And so for me, that first hit, hit refresh not to take a line from, you know, Satya's book, you know, but that hit, hit refresh was, was really, you know, the opportunity to build that system of practices, you know, in early 2021, that helps me, you know, rebalance myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and there are times, like I would say the last six months of, of 2022, you know, where, you know, I'm not as rigorous and, then I wake up one morning and I'm like, okay, like I'm out of sync. Like I got to mm -hmm. get back to the basics and then it's hard to do that. Right. So, um, so yeah, it's, 
we're always learning in, in life then. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So one of the things, a couple of things that I really like about that, number one is you notice or you're getting better at noticing when you're out of balance in the first place. I mean, people, leaders can be operating for years and need decades out of balance and have no clue. They're just like, I just feel like crap, but I'm going to keep just trudging on. Whereas noticing, hey, I don't feel well, or I'm not performing at the level that I could be performing at, what's going on and being willing to, for lack of a better word, go there in the first place. Um, and you have to admit that you're not doing great in the first place to be able to even be open to the hitting refresh moment. Um, yeah, that's funny. You know, I, um, was talking to one of my colleagues the other day and, you know, he, he said something to me like, man, I only get like two or three hours of sleep a night, you know? And I said, you know, I said, I'm just telling you this as a friend and a brother. I said, you know, I said, you know, we get one shot at this buddy, you know, it's like, you know, we don't, we don't, there is no second shot. Right. You know, it's like, um, you know, whatever you believe in, right. You know, whether you, you believe in, in that you're part of part of the ground or part of the earth or part of the heavens, or whether you b- believe in reincarnation at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to remember, you know, the experiences that you had in this life. And so hmm. if you screwed around with it in such a way that, you know, you're impacting, your interactions and your livelihood and your happiness and your smiles. Right. You know, it's like, I'm like, there's nothing, you know, that you are doing at work that is so important in the context of, you know, the human story that you should be getting two to three hours of sleep per night. And so if you don't, if you don't go fix that, then you're going to regret it later in your life. It has a cumulative effect. It no does. doubt. And we don't become smarter with less sleep, become less smart. Yep. And it, it, it wears on you. As you get older too, it's even more important. And it, I, I find it very interesting though, that you're, you're a CTO and we're talking about sustainability and carbon emissions. And you're talking about a sustainable career from my perspective. Is that, how intentional is that? connection or did yeah, it I mean, just happen? I, I think this is, just, you know, like everything, you know, the, the choices I've made now career-wise in terms of why I decided to come become the CTO of, of JCI, you know, was a, a very deliberate and purposeful, you know, decision, right? Um, you know, in an ideal sense, after, after what I endured in 2020, I would have preferred to take all of 2021 off. And go walk the streets with my husky, you know, and spend time with my family, right? Um, Make sure to leave and, a comment if you saw VJ walking his husky around Ann Arbor. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear from you. You would not, you would not miss, you would not miss me and my husky. So he's he's I a saw very a picture unique of that looking dog. Big. Yeah, and um, and and so you know when I when the opportunity with Johnson Controls came up, you know, I've always been passionate about sustainability, you know, like, um, 
you know, when I was a kid in high school, I attended this program called the Governor's School, where we introduced a bill to mandate uh, school recycling in New Jersey. And when I was at Ford and Ameritrade, I played this alternate character called Green Man, you know, which talked about like waste and, you know, IT and things like that. And so when the opportunity to become the CTO of Johnson Controls came about to become the real life green man and really build a platform with software that was taking telemetry from buildings and, you know, other assets, you know, around them and then Mm -hmm. figuring out, you know, how that was impacting energy consumption and, and carbon emission and how we could use AI and data uh, to improve customers' outcomes in that light. I mean, it wasn't going to get any better than that. And so, you know, when I looked at it, like, um, you know, and, and and the purpose around picking a role is is so important to me, you know, having, having strong purpose associated with a role. I'm like, from a, a career kind of capstone perspective, you know, like, there isn't going to be any role that's any, any more motivating than this, you know. I mean, I had had a similar opportunity with Ameritrade when I was CIO, you know, our, you know, our, our corporate, you know, slogan was to, you know, make invest, you know, to, to transform investing for the better. And so the idea was that, you know, for individual investors that we were going to use things like education and software to improve the investing experience. Same thing at, at, as Johnson Controls, right? I mean, we're building Open Blue, which is our, you know, our sustainability software platform that enables companies to figure out how to create a better planet, right? And, um, and cities and societies, right? I mean, if you look at some of the projects that I get to work on, I mean, you know, these are the kinds of things that you want to tell your kids about is, is, how did we create a greener planet? So for me, the purpose of that, plus the ability to build sort of a high performing team, right, mm-hmm. was just too good to pass up, even though, you know, it would have been fun to hang out with my Husky for six more months. Well, you still hang out with your Husky. And I yeah. would say it seems like it's very aligned because you experienced a mental fatigue and you saw what a sustainable career for yourself wasn't. And it sounds like you had purpose, but it wasn't a pace that was that was working. And so finding that and bringing that all together, I just I found that intersection an intersection to be really unique and interesting. And I think for leaders who are listening, they're probably hearing your story and enjoying it on one level, but to understand how what you're passionate about in your life you may have opportunities if you're aware to really bring them full circle, something that you were doing when you were a green man. How old were you when you were a green man? I don't oh, know. I, I've been green man through my thirties, my forties, okay. you know, like you have your alter ego. I'm always like, you know, picking out plastic bottles that my kids throw in the trash and like putting it in the proper bins and things like that. So, right, so stuff you've been doing throughout your life, but finding ways to bring this in and, I think I thought I just find it be really fascinating that that's like it's like a capstone project for your career right now. You're getting to bring these different things, and I think a lot of times leaders forget, uh, and they get so or they allow themselves to get so pigeonholed or so defined by a system or another leader, even 
you put all that on the back on the back burner. And so I just found it really interesting that you were you went through that mental fatigue situation that was so extreme and found your way to this opportunity to bring it all together. What what do you tell your team right now when you're noticing in them mental fatigue? Yeah, you know, it's um I I try to I try to step into the shoes, you know, of, of my my team and I really try to build a very collegial relationship with the team. And I have so much gratitude, Ben, for the team because of the team's ability to laugh. And you know, when you when you think about attributes that you want on a team, it's that ability not just to, to be high performing and and make progress, but it's to laugh and to have stories and to, you know, have each other's back and prioritize the collective over the individual, right? And, um, you know, a a great story like last week was I was in in Milwaukee for a leadership meeting and I was, I was having uh, dinner with one of our our partners and, um, and then he said, oh yeah, you know, like uh, another colleague of ours is having uh, dinner with the rest of your team in, in Ann Arbor, you know, uh, tonight. And so, um, immediately, you know, like I, I, I took a selfie with him and I texted it to the team that was there and we just, you know, we just had a, like a quick laugh over it, just talking about, um, you know, one guy was missing and we were just joking around that, you know, he had been purposely omitted from, uh, the photo because he had really he has really good hair and so he purposely <laughs> omitted from the photo for that reason um mm-hmm. but it's um just that lighthearted banter that we can have as a team i try to really really foster that you know it's it's incredibly hard to do um you know in this in this uh pandemic era because of this, the virtual nature of it but um as we're getting back uh it's to create those moments that um uh, is so important. So I'm always checking in with people. Um, you know, everybody has things that they have going on. So like I had, you know, uh, one of my team members had, had an in, you know, a couple of them had an injury. So checking on them, making sure they're okay, making sure that they're, um, you know, getting the space they need, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that, you know, people are well balanced. Um, you know, it, the, the thing that I find a lot of times with leaders at this level, and, you know, I, I try to be the anti-pattern around this, is that, um, you know, this, this emotional empathy for what others might be going through and, and really, you know, wanting to be there for them, with them, being, you know, understanding of it, right? You know, like, Every team member that you have, even whether you're a, a CEO, a CTO, a CFO, a C whatever, right? You know, they all want to do a good job for you. And they all know that, you know, you have extremely high expectations of them from a results perspective, right? So they don't really need you to tell them, like, you know, you know, are you getting things done on time? You know, like, you know, why aren't the metrics performing? It's like, you know you have to be there in terms of, you know, creating the, that, you know, that servant leadership kind of a culture of, you know, how can I help you or what are the challenges? Are there any obstacles, you know, but then be, you know, creating that space so that they understand that 
you're there for them as a human being, mm-hmm. right? You can relate to the things that, you know, they're going through, you know, on a day-to-day basis, right? And I, and I would say that's like, that's like the, the thing that I found in my career is that leaders, senior leaders struggle with the most is, you know, opening themselves up for their team and being vulnerable with them so that, you know, the team feels like, hey, this guy's got my back. You know, this mm-hmm. guy is, you know, a real person and understands like my real concerns. What a like, great way to build trust. It and is. You, you build trust by, I mean, people. you want your team to trust you. They want to trust you and see if we, you know, we can bring those, those intentions together. Now you talked about fostering your team's laughter and lightheartedness, which is, is pretty awesome. But what's your advice for leaders who say, like, I love that concept, but how the heck do you do it? Like, it- <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, maybe it's just like a persona, right? You know, it's like, I still like believe like I'm a kid. I still believe like, um, you know, 12 years old or, or, or I, I always I just like take myself back to the best time in my life. Right. And I always, mm. I always tell people the best time in my life was, um, between third and sixth grade when, you know, I used to, I grew up in Glen Rock, New Jersey, which is right outside New York city. And, um, you know, my parents would send me outside and my brother outside and we had like 20 kids on the cul-de-sac who used to just like hang out all day, play sports, you know, you know, dawn until dusk. And there were always like smiles on our faces. Right. And I was always like this really curious kid. Like I just, you know, just had so much curiosity and just, you know, um, and just lightheartedness about me. And so I try to still be that like same person in some ways today. Right. I mean, you know, sure, there are like more gray hairs on my face and my head. And, you know, sure, you know, um, I have, you know, teenagers who can be challenging at times. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, it's, I'm still the same person, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and when, you know, by participating, maybe sometimes even initiating, maybe by telling humorous stories, maybe by, you know, reminiscing about times that people on the team shared together, maybe by, you know, um, talking about incidents and just being open around, you know, situations that occurred, you know, you, you and, and laughing, right. That, that the leader initiates, right. As opposed to being a droid, right. You know, um, I really think that that's what like opens it up because the team immediately feels comfortable. Like that you're not like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not like evaluating, I, you're not, not like evaluating anybody like, what does that word even mean? Evaluating, right? You know, it's like we're a team that's together to like do amazing stuff and have fun together at the same time. So I want to be part of that fun. Otherwise, you know, we work way too many hours in a day not to have fun. So uh, interesting step by step there. So you think about it's really like to to bring humor. You think about mindset first, and you think about that time. And I think it's a great exercise for leaders listening now. Like, when's the time where you strung together a whole lot of days of fun, or you were you were finding yourself in that mindset, and really try to channel that persona? 
I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like when they're kids, like, like a certain time period where, uh, you were getting to make a lot of your own choices during the day. I mean, generation Xers, uh, if you're like a lot of generation or actually like myself, you were, you were by yourself a lot. <laughs> you're just hanging out in the neighborhood <laughs> nowadays. It's, it's, it's a little different. Uh, but, uh, and kind of going back to that, and I'm curious. So when you also, when you're, so you're, so you're in that mindset, is your, and I want, I'm just have it, have a an intuitive, uh, thing perhaps that maybe your, your default is to go to self-depreciating humor with your team first. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll go to that or I'll tell a story or, you know, um, you know, it's, you know, like I, I have a, I have a member of my team that um, we play in the same tennis league um, oh, and, tennis um, and on, on uh, Sunday night. And he unfortunately, you know, injured his knee and he was like, he was in the court next to me and he was sitting there with an ice pack on his knee. And, you know, so, you know, I'll just say something I'll, like, yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, this member, he was, he was, he was trying to be, you know, Rafa on the court, you know, with his, with his awesome, you know, shot, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, he succumbed to succumbed to a, an injury or something like that. And then, you know, then other, other people will just pick up on, on that and just, you know, tease, poke a little bit of fun at him because he's, he's a good natured guy and he can, he's not, you know, offended by that. Um, or, you know, somebody who's in a part of the world, like, uh, you know, I have a, I have a, a guy in, in Switzerland. And so, you know, when we're together, I will just say, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, between, you know, between the beer and the skiing, you know, it doesn't give you a whole lot of time to do anything else, does it? You know? <laughs> and then we'll just, yes. you know, we'll just have a little bit of laughs about, about that. Or yeah. um, some of us share previous employers and we'll talk about stories. And um, so it's, it's a lot of just like, imagine to some degree, you know, like I want it to be like college in some ways, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's like when you used to like sit around in your dorm room or apartment or, you know, living group and, you know, you used to just laugh a little bit, you know, and talk about different situations and stories, um, you know, a little, little bit about that, like that, but also, you know, sometimes you talk about cool stuff that's going on in, mm -hmm. on, in the world and, you know, um, you know, some people will talk about trips that they've made and customers who, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, are a lot more, uh, you know, snobbish. And, and, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's common, it's common bonding, mm -hmm. I guess is the easiest way to put it. Yeah, it sounds like, so the, so the self-depreciating humor can really be work across a big group. And then it sounds like the Switzerland example, uh, the tennis example, these are also, it's important for leaders to find individual ways to connect. So yep. the Switzerland, like you're having your one-on-one -on -one and you're, you know, making some jokes and you're kind of getting, you know, getting that rapport one-on-one. -on -one. So it's just, I think it's a really important thing to bring in an environment that's high stress, high change, like a lot of leaders are facing. And I think it's something that we as leaders probably, uh, you may have some leaders that do it very naturally, but for most people, if you're not being intentional, with it so like with here's black. a way to to really assess it ben. and here's kind of what i do is that i interact obviously with a lot of different leaders you know myself you know whether it's it's been different ceos and things like that 
And if I've come into the conversation kind of feeling like a sense of like tenseness, right? You know, where because there isn't any sort of, you know, sort of personal engagement or, you know, just like, hey, one, you know about me as the whole person, right? Then it's immediately like, for me, like I lock myself down to some degree, like, you know, that, okay, I got to be guarded against this individual, you know, because, you know, I don't know how they're sizing me up or measuring me or you mm-hmm. know, everything is about, you know, the results or this or that, right? And then I'm like, I don't want to be that kind of a leader for my team, right? And I want to be, have this kind of relationship where it's, you know, they know that I know what I expect from them. And, you know, my job is to create the forum so that we can, as a team, if we're making progress on it, but when I'm in a one-on-one, it's, it's more about the relationship between me and them, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and building that sense of trust and camaraderie. And that's so important, you know, Mm. for, and for me and for them, right. Because it's awfully lonely in the place that I sit. And, you know, sometimes it's for me to be as vulnerable with them as they are with me. Mm. Yeah. It makes it, they feel more connected and it makes, it makes it a little less lonely for the CTO. Yep. And that's how great work gets done. Certainly is. With lightness, with creativity and focus. And you can have all that with laughter. And that, I mean, it's like, who would have thought today, you know, this episode would be injected with so much lightness and humor and great ideas for people to bring laughter into their organization and for leaders to be more intentional with it. Because it's not, because what you're talking about is not, just a bunch of funny videos and cat memes. It's about a level of comfort and empathy and connection that, uh, you know, it's, it's funny you mentioned it because like, you know, a lot of times, you know, like we all get invited to these like leadership forums and things like that. They're always about like some strategy, like, you know, like where's the future of the planet going to go in this dimension. (laughs) Right. And you know, the reality is, is, is who knows. Right. And, you know, most times it's like, yeah, it's going to happen at some point, but like, I don't know exactly know when, and if I did know when, then, you know, I'd be in a different profession. Right. But what about, you know, just leaders like me, you know, just like, you know, creating, you know, a sense of, you know, camaraderie between senior leaders who are like, you know, who, who want to be more vulnerable, but maybe are, in environments that, you know, um, they have difficulty doing that because the environment isn't conducive for that kind of vulnerability. Right. Um, that would be pretty cool yeah. to, to, to be able to do that. Let's do it. VJ. Let's do it. Laugh, laughing leaders. I don't know. Laughing Whoa. leaders. I love it. Whoa. So y'all, we got to bring this to a close VJ, but we didn't get to 75% of my questions. So, <laughs> Maybe we have to do a part two, Ben. Or do we I'm always two, up for I that. So. But I think a lot of messages in here about vulnerability, about trust, connection, hitting refresh, facing mental fatigue. But then this part about fostering your team's laughter, which 
maybe we should say this is a leadership skill that uh, maybe an advanced leadership skill, but a leadership skill for leaders to foster that. Um, and I mean, better... if you think about it, like, why would it not be right? I mean, at the end of the day, what we're doing at Johnson Controls is we're developing amazing solutions to help our customers solve problems, right? But at the end of the day, you know, our customers are people, right? You know, they're, you know, dealing with situations and challenges and whatever part of the world that they live in, right? But like, what connects us all, right? The, the thing that connects us all in this like human spirit is, you know, the empathy and understanding of, you know, uh, situations, right? And being able to go meet with those individuals and be able to, you know, put yourself into their shoes, but also just, you know, diffuse, you know, uh, a conversation so that, you know, you are just enjoying yourself. You know, you're just, you know, you can talk about the context of business and, and, and laugh about different situations. Um, and so building a team that, you know, likes to laugh and likes to connect, right. And likes to be empathetic, I believe is a training ground for how we support our customers in the most exceptional way possible. And, Hmm. you know, by understanding that we're all humans at the end of the day and, um, you know, our, our purpose is to move this planet forward. And um, that's what's so cool about what we get to do every day at Johnson Controls is help move the planet forward. And that, my friend, is a course that you and I will work on together and we'll roll it out next year at Johnson awesome. Controls. VJ, thank you for joining us today on Lead the Team, sir. Thank you so much, Ben. Appreciate being here and look forward to staying connected. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.